0: Lord we thank you that we can come into your presence this morning and acknowledge Lord that as we come that you receive us you welcome us into your presence because you're a God who loves us and desires for us to be in relationship with you and so Lord as we come to the word of God this morning we ask that indeed that you will help us to understand what you're saying our focus won't be on the person speaking father But our focus will be on the word of God and what Jesus wants to say to us today and we pray it in his name amen there was a pastor who was once walking downtown when he happened to run into the son of one of his a couple of his congregation members the lad was a rebellious teenage boy who had run away from home a few months earlier And so the pastor encouraged this young man to come with him, they went into a coffee shop and he began to counsel and encourage him to go home to his parents. And using this very parable that was read to us a moment ago by Bob in Luke 15 as the basis of his encouragement for this young man, he said to him as he left him, now you go home to your mum and dad and see if your dad doesn't kill the fattened calf to welcome you. A few weeks later, he ran into him again in the street, and he asked him, did you go home to your parents? And he said, yes, I did. And did you apologise to them? And he said, yes, I did. And did your father kill the fattened calf for you? And the boy went on and said, no. He jolly well nearly killed the prodigal son. If you are a parent here this morning, particularly a father, I'm sure you can identify in some way with the sentiments that are expressed in this parable that Jesus told. Because as parents, we want the very best for our children, whether it relates to their educational opportunities, their employment prospects, or perhaps even their life partner in marriage. Every parent who truly loves their children wants for them, I'm sure, to be happy and fulfilled in everything that they do. And for the Christian parent, there is that added dimension Of wanting God's best for their children but you know sadly that best doesn't always come to pass some of our children in whom we've invested so much time or energy some of our children in whom we've placed upon so much in the way of expectation they become a source of heartache and anguish as they get caught up in the consequences of their choices that they make they deliberately reject the lifestyle and the values Yes, even the very faith of their parents. And I'm sure that the heartache and the anguish that some of us as parents go through, perhaps some of you are even going through that now, is mirrored in the experience of this father in this parable that Jesus recounts for us here in Luke 15. In fact, I would suggest that the heartache and the anguish experienced by this father is even greater because of the context in which Jesus told this parable. This was a story with a spiritual meaning, a parable that Jesus told to confront his accusers with something of the Father heart of God, the very God that they professed to love and worship. Yes, this parable is probably one of the best known and loved of all parables that Jesus told. A parable which is the third in the series of parables that Jesus told in response to an accusation that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law made against him. if You go back to verse 1 of this chapter, you see there they said concerning Jesus, this man receives sinners or welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, these religious leaders had a very narrow view of the sorts of people whom God should accept, the sorts of people upon whom God should bestow his favour. And so what Jesus is doing here in this passage is actually confronting them with the error of their accusation by showing them via this parable something of the greatness of God's love towards sinners. Yes, even towards those self-same religious leaders who love to parade their righteousness before men. Jesus' words and his actions in this parable would have been highly offensive to them. To think that God had time for those who were the dregs, the pariahs of society, that was an anathema to them in their thinking. And so as such, as much as this story is the story of a prodigal or a lost son, it is also the story of a loving father, a father whose love mirrors the love of our Heavenly Father towards you and me. And so it's appropriate in this service this morning that we spend a few more moments considering the extent of God's great love towards each one of us, as it's illustrated for us here in this passage. And the very first thing I want to suggest to you this morning is this, that God's love is a love that is totally undeserved. I want you to think for a moment about the circumstance in which this earthly father's love was expressed. Here is the youngest son in this family who comes to his father with all his arrogant pride and his self-will and he demands from his dad to his share of the inheritance. That which he rightly considered was his right and you can almost hear him say dad give me what's mine and I'm out of here. Self-interest, self-gratification was his sole preoccupation at this point in his life. And with kids like that, with that sort of an attitude, you can almost sympathise, can't you, with those of the baby boomer generation, grey nomads who spend their time travelling around Australia in their large motorhomes, towing their caravans, determined to spend their kids' inheritance. Now, we need to understand that under Jewish law, because there are only two sons in the family, that the younger son would have been entitled to one-third of his father's estate upon his death because the older son always got a double share of the inheritance. It was his responsibility to carry on the family business. And whilst it was not unheard of for a father to divide his inheritance before his death, if he did so, he was still entitled to the income from that estate. And a son could not normally dispose of that while his father was still alive. His son, however, wants what he thinks is due to him now, so he could use it as he pleases. And in effect he was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my share. I never want to see you again. His words, I'm sure, would have been like a dagger to his father's heart. And yet his father's willingness to let him go to accommodate his request shows us something of his graciousness and generous nature towards his son a nature that is reflected in our heavenly father's character as well verse 13 tells us that this son had no intention of ever returning to his home he gathered all together everything he owned nothing was to be left behind no pictures on the wall no sports trophies on the chest of drawers No special mementos of his childhood. There was to be nothing that would draw him back. In fact, the words that that are written here, he gathered all he had, come from the world of finance. And they tell us that he cashed it all in. He sold his share of the family farm, as it were. And with a sack full of money, he sets off to a far country where we read that he indulged in a lifestyle free from the restraints And the influence of his father. He lived it up indulging himself in whatever took his fancy. Imagine the pain and the anguish that would have pressed down upon him like a lead weight as the father saw his son disappear into the distance over the horizon. And yet what do we see his father still doing? Still loving him, waiting, longing patiently for the day his figure would appear over the brow of the horizon. Still waiting, still longing for the day his son would come home. We're not told here how long he waited to see his son come home, how many months it was. But he could never have seen his son come home As verse 20 reminds us, he could never have seen him a long way off if he had not been out watching and waiting for him to come home. And that, can I suggest to you, is a love that is totally undeserved, a love that mirrors the very love of God for you and for me. When in eternity past God took the initiative and made a a once-and-for-all provision for you and I to be reconciled to God. He allowed his son, the second person of the Godhead, to come into this world as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, the lamb who would come to take away the sins of the world. None of us can say this morning that we have never tried to live independently of God, independently of our heavenly Father. We've never wanted to live our lives free from his control, and direction you know my bible tells me that is the essence of what sin is going our own way we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God made in the image of God and created as we read in Isaiah 43 for his glory we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all Those words from Isaiah 53 there remind us of God's great love, his sacrificial love for us. He loves us still, not willing that any should perish. And even when Jesus walked this earth as the second person of the Godhead, we see that same love of God being expressed towards those he described as harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd, Think of the events that led up to Easter as he approached Jerusalem, for example, that last time before his arrest and his crucifixion. Luke tells us in his Gospel, in chapter 19, that when he saw the city stretched out before him, Jesus wept over it. And he said, if only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Even as he taught in the temple, Courts in the hours before the events of that first Easter. We see him crying out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under our, her wings. But you were not willing. And even as Jesus hung there on the cross, he would cry out, Father, forgive them well, they know not what they do. That is a love that is totally undeserved. And yet it is a love that each one of us has the opportunity to participate in. For the scripture tells us in that very well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes, just as this father took the initiative and looked out for his son, so 2,000 years ago or so, God took the initiative and broke into human history and offered up the one who was worshipped in the cradle of Bethlehem on the cross of Calvary, that we're there to die for the sins of the world. You know, even the most heroic acts of sacrificial love that any human being can do Pale into insignificance against that sacrifice of God's Son for us this morning. That leads me to the second thing, of, aspect of God's love that we see illustrated in this story. I want to suggest that it's a love that welcomes repentance in us. There's a chorus of a song by a group called Point of Grace that was written some years ago, and it summarises this truth, and it goes like this. Jesus doesn't care what you've done, how you've rebelled or shut the door. No matter how far you've run or how long you've been untrue, Jesus doesn't care. He offers forgiveness to you. And that's what we see illustrated in this parable, is it not? Notice, however, that as much as his father loved his son, This son could never really experience the depths of his father's love until, as the scripture says here in verse 17, he came to himself, he came to his senses. He could never be the recipient of his father's love until he came to the realisation of the desperate plight of his situation. The realisation that he made a mess of his life and that a life lived in fellowship with his father was the best way after all. But he needed to be willing to do something about it. He was a young man who thought he had it made. A pocket full of money, he was going to have a good time. And so he takes off for a far country and throws off all the restraints of living with his father brought upon him free to do what he likes, free from moral inhibitions, free from cramping lifestyle of his family, free from the social conventions that applied to his culture. He squanders everything he had in wild and reckless living. And it's not long before he discovers that he had exchanged what he thought was slavery at home for slavery of a different kind. He'd become a slave to his own passions. Yes, to his wild and reckless living. You know, the Bible tells us that we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. We are slaves to the one whom we obey or follow. And there is no neutral ground when it comes to our relationship with God. And this man's life is a picture, therefore, of the futility. And the emptiness of a life that leaves God out of the picture, a life that wants to live independently of Him. When the money ran out, so did the good times. And when this man's problems were compounded by a famine, he found himself destitute. And he discovered that his good time friends were just that. When the hard time came, they were nowhere to be found. Nobody gave him anything and when he really needed help there was no one to give it to him and the ultimate humiliation as a Jew was to take a job feeding and looking after pigs. An unclean animal and as such was his desperation that even the pig food looked good if he might have been able possibly to eat it. It was only when, as the scripture declares, he came to himself, he came to his senses, which is a Jewish idiom for repentance. When he came to that point in his life, when he had the courage to look into the mirror of his own soul and realise that he'd taken a wrong turn and that he'd ended up on a pathway that led to destruction, it was only then, when he came to that point and was willing to do something about it, to turn back and return to his father, could he ever hope to experience afresh. His Father's love. Do you know one of the greatest abilities that we have as human beings is the ability to deceive ourselves and to make excuses in order to rationalise our behaviour before God. Prophet Jeremiah reminds of this truth, doesn't he, when he says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure and who can understand it. For that reason, when we need to be careful when God might bring us to a low point in our lives. That we don't try to delude ourselves, but like this young man, come to our senses as he did and realise the enormity of our position before God. There came a realisation to this young man, as we see in verses 17 through 19, that even the hired hands... The day labourers, those who had no guarantee of ongoing employment, they just turned up each day hoping for a casual job. Even these people were better off than this young man was. They had food to spare while he was starving. And he determines that he's going to go home and cast himself on his father's mercy. Father, he would say... I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And the scripture records that when he got up and went to his father, that same father who, when he was a long way off, saw him coming, his father ran to him, embraced him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the sense of the word kiss there is that he kept on kissing him, demonstrating his love and his affection for his lost son. This Son's actions illustrate, don't they, what must happen in our lives if we want to be recipients of God's love, to experience the depth of that love which is totally undisturbed on our part. We need to repent. We need to have that change of mind that leads to a change of direction as we cast ourselves upon the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Yes, as we place our faith or trust in the one who sent his son into this world as a sacrifice for our sins. You know, to repent is to simply be so homesick for God that you're willing to turn your direction towards home. And yet without this genuine repentance, we're never, we will never truly experience God's love in our lives. The Bible says that God's love, when we turn to him in faith, is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he gives to us but it comes from a starting place of repentance towards God. And isn't that what Jesus proclaimed when he began preaching the good news, the gospel to those who would hear him as he began his earthly ministry? He said, repent and believe the good news. And that's exactly what this young man did. He left his old way of life behind a way of life he thought it would bring him happiness and put his future unreservedly into his father's hands. And as I mentioned before, what does his father do? When he was a long way off, his father sees him. His heart was filled with compassion. He runs towards him and throws his arm around him and kisses him. In the fairly reserved culture of Jesus' day, this sort of behaviour was something that normally didn't happen. And for Jesus' listeners then, this undignified behaviour just simply served to heighten their awareness of a God who delights to welcome sinners who truly repent and turn from their old way of life. As verse 7 says earlier in this passage, there is rejoicing... In the presence of angels over one sinner who repents and if we're a believer this morning it's not something that just occurs when we come to first faith in Christ it needs to be the ongoing experience in our walk with God we need to keep short accounts with him and come to him in repentance for the sin that can block our relationship with him 1 John 3, 8 and 9 tells us, doesn't it, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. But there's one important thing we must also know here about God's love. It's a love that cannot be earned. The very best that this delinquent son could ever hope for was that his father might take him back as a hired hand, a day labourer. He certainly didn't deserve anything else. In fact, by law, his father could have had him stoned to death or made him a slave. He had squandered all that his father had given him. He could never do enough to make up for that. He brought shame and disgrace to the family. But notwithstanding that, what does his father do? He calls the servants and he says, put the best robe on him. The best robe, the ceremonial robe, a robe of honour that was reserved for a visiting dignitary or a guest. And the implication, therefore, was that he was being given a place of honour to sit at the right hand of his father. His past had been put away. It was not to be remembered anymore. And isn't that what the scripture says about our relationship with God and our sin when we come to faith and trust in him? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. But he also says, put a ring on his finger. The ring was a symbol of authority, tantamount giving a person a power of attorney over everything go. You might remember the story of Joseph back in Genesis 41, that young man who was sold as a slave into Egypt, but finally he becomes the second ruler of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh himself. And what does Pharaoh do? He takes off his signet ring and he gives it to him. And that is the principle in the picture that we're given here. This young man was to be regarded as his father's representative in every sense of the word. He put sandals on his feet, sandals with a symbol of freedom. Only slaves went barefoot, but all free-born children wore sandals or shoes. That's why, for example, one of the old slave spirituals from the days of slavery in America carries the line, all God's children got shoes. They understood too well from their own experience. The symbolism that is expressed here that if the sun shall set you free you shall be free indeed. He gave him a feast, yes he killed the fattened calf threw a party to celebrate the fact that his son had entered into a new dimension of life. It was as if he'd been dead but was now alive again. In other words, he was completely restored to his position as a son in the family. It was as if he'd never been away. It was a love that was not only totally deserved, but it was a love that he could never hope to earn. Contrast that with the response of the elder brother. Out in the fields, he comes towards home. He hears the music, he hears, hears the dancing, and he asks what's happening And he hears that his brother had returned and he gets angry, he refuses to come in. And even when his father goes out to try and plead with him to come in, he refuses and he answers his father in these words in verses 29 and 30. "'Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends.' when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes comes you kill the fatted calf for him the mistake the elder brother made was to think that his father's love was something that could be earned all his faithfulness and serving his dad over the years somehow meant that his dad owed him put him under some sort of obligation to him because of that I want to suggest that he was just as lost as his younger brother had been this is really a parable about two lost sons we can never earn enough do enough to earn God's favour all our righteousness, all the good things that we do are like filthy rags in God's sight. And we go to passages like Titus 3, 4 to 6, or Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, and we read words like this. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Yes, for it is by grace, through faith, you have been saved. And this is not of your own doing, not of works. So that no one can boast. Rather, it is the gift of God, a gift of his grace, instead of striving to make ourselves good enough for God. We need to repent and put our trust in faith in the God who loved us so much that he sent his son into this world to take upon himself the punishment for our sin, to become our substitute so that by faith or trust in him we can experience the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. That is the grace of a loving Heavenly Father that expresses his love towards us in the person of his Son. In his book, How to be Born Again, Billy Graham tells the story of how last century a group of fishermen were fly-fishing in the highlands of of Scotland. That evening, they were having a meal in the local inn and one of them got so excited as he was describing the size of the fish he'd caught that particular day, his hand went out and it collected with a cup into which one of the waitresses was pouring a cup of tea. And the cup was flung across the, the room and it smashed against a whitewashed wall and a dirty brown stain began to run down the wall. The man was very apologetic, but one of the other guests got up and jumped up and said, never mind and taking a pen from his pocket, he went over to that dirty brown stain and he began to draw an outline around it. And very soon there emerged there a beautiful picture of a magnificent royal stag with its antlers unfurled. In the hands of a master, what was a picture of chaos there emerged a beautiful picture of a magnificent animal. Turned out that the man was Edward Lancia, England's most foremost painter of wildlife. In the hands of a master, that which was ugly had become a beautiful work of art. Isn't that what God's transforming love can do if we let him? His is a love that we don't deserve, a love that we can't earn, but a love that welcomes us with open arms if we turn to Him in repentance and faith. How does the chorus of that point of grace song go again? Jesus doesn't care what you've done before, how you've rebelled or shut the door no matter how far you've run or how long you've been untrue. Jesus doesn't care. He still offers forgiveness to you. But the question each one of us have to answer this morning, if we haven't already done so, is this. How many tears will you cry till you cry out to the Father so many tears and honest plea for mercy he will not deny. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where each one of us stands before you this morning. And our prayer is that you will search our hearts and reveal the reality of our position before you to each one of us. If we know you, Lord, we give you thanks for all that you've done in our lives and bringing us to yourself. But if we don't know you, Lord, we ask that we might have the courage like the man in this story to repent, to come to our senses, to turn back and run into the embrace of our Heavenly Father who made it possible through the gift of his Son, through his sacrifice on the cross, for us to be reconciled to you, for the past to be wiped out, and for the future to be secure. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.